seated. And um, I don't know about you, but I've been hearing nothing about Pacquiao and Bradley. I mean, if you've been in the news, if you've been watching the news, if you've been reading the newspaper, anything, that's all you hear. Because now it's really getting big. Now they're, you know, they're going to do an investigation. And, um, you know, this is not a little thing here because Harry Reid, the majority uh, leader in the House, got into it. He used to be a boxer. And so he got into it, and he says he wants an investigation. So if he's the Senate majority leader, wants an investigation, there's going to be an investigation. So I've been reading all about boxing and, you know, and how they think it was fixed and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, kind of when you, when you get into that little boxing mode or get into that wrestling mode, I was reading the Word of God, and that's exactly what God spoke to me about. And, um, no, we're not, I'm not going to have a boxing match here. <laughs> but I am going to talk about two scriptures that have to do with fighting and boxing and wrestling. And um, one of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible is Romans 12:2. And I want you to turn your Bibles there. And, you know, my son said something today that I was listening to uh, this guy on the radio as um, I was going to a conference this morning, and he was saying, if you don't bring your Bible, and you don't bring a piece of paper, then what are you doing in church? He said, if there is nothing worth writing down that you received, then why are you going to church? And I just thought, whoa, that was heavy. He said, when you come to church, you come prepared to leave with something. You just come just to sit here and take up space, you're in the wrong church. But if you want to come and learn and grow, then you come ready to take something home with you. How many of you came to take something home with you? Okay. You're all going, okay, amen, amen. <laughs> Romans 12, 2. And it reads like this. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And this is what my goal in life is, is to bring forth the word of God that would transform your mind. Because your mind affects everything of who you are. And so that's what the word of God does. All of our thoughts, impact our lives in vital ways. They can either energize us, or if our thoughts are worrisome, they can exhaust us. Some people don't do anything all day except worry, and when they go to bed at night, I'm so tired. What'd you do? Nothing. But because they're worried all day long, they get tired. They can either lead us to God, or they can take us on a path away from God. They can make us either better, or they can make us bitter. On the average, every person has 40,000 thoughts every day. And most of them are not positive. Most of the attacks that the enemy comes against us come in our mind. He knows that our mind is the central control center of this body. It is the central control center of our life. And so if he can take control of one small 
area in this mind, then he can begin to start advancing onward, onward, onward to take control more and more and more of our mind into other weak areas. See, he can't take, he can't take control of strong areas. He can only can take, uh, take control of weak areas. If they're not fortified, if they're not strengthened, if they're weak, the enemy can just march right in. So the only thing that we can do is to strengthen those weak areas that are in the mind. And that's why the scripture says that you'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you will know what is good and pleasing and perfect will is. Because if you don't have your mind transformed, it ain't going to happen. The enemy poisons our mind with unbelief and lying strongholds. And then when he does that, he can manipulate the mind. But when he has our mind, guess what he also has? He has our emotions, and then he has our body. He's got, if he has our mind, he's got it all. Because you will be like Frankenstein. Whatever your mind tells you to do, you're going to do it. Go to the liquor store. Okay. Turn on the computer. Okay. Read that magazine. Okay. And you do things because this is what your mind tells you to do. There is no doubt about it. The mind is the strategic center where battles are won or lost in spiritual warfare. This is why the enemy wants access into your life. This is why he attacks our mind. Because if he attacks our mind, he's got us. That's why we need to keep every door shut to the enemy, to the lie, so that he won't find an entrance. He goes to this door, oh, it's shut. Goes to that, oh, it's shut. Everywhere he goes, it's shut. Why? Because the word of God has strengthened and bolted every door so that the enemy cannot come in. But I'm going to let you know something. The enemy is going to put up a fight. He's not going to just lay, lay down and die. He's going to fight. Because if he can't find an entrance here, he's going to find an entrance over there. He's going to keep looking. And that's why we need to know what the Bible says about spiritual warfare, which is where I get into boxing. Ephesians 6.12. This is the scripture that I'm actually going to catapult off of. Ephesians 6.12 says, Paul tells us, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now that word wrestle in this verse is the key to understanding how intense spiritual warfare is. See, some of us, and I would, I would dare to say maybe 90% of us do not even understand spiritual warfare. We know what it is to go through it. We know what it is to experience it. But we don't really understand what the Word talks about when He says we're wrestling against spiritual warfare. Now the word wrestle, I'm a teacher, so today you're going to learn something. The word wrestle comes from the old Greek word pale, which means struggling, wrestling, or hand-to-hand -hand combat. Now this word pale is also the Greek word where, the, where they got their name palestra 
And Palestra was like a huge palace in the middle of every ancient city that had to do, it was like a big gym, but it looked like a palace on the outside. It looked so nice, but it was a place where athletes could develop their athletic skills. So every morning, every afternoon, and every night, the most committed, the most determined, and the most daring athletes would be found in this palestra, in this famous palace building, working out and training for their sport. Now, there were three kinds of athletes back during this time when Paul wrote this scripture. These are three kinds of athletes that worked out at the palestra, and they were the boxers, wrestlers, and pancreatists. Now, I'm going to explain to you what that sport was, because we don't have that anymore. Thank God. Each of these sports were developed in the first century when Paul wrote this verse, because it forms the backdrop for the word wrestle. When he put, we wrestle not against principal, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, these people understood exactly what Paul was talking about. He understood, they understood what the word wrestle meant, which is what we need to understand today. The first and most feared combat sport of this time was boxing. The boxers from the first century were not like our boxers today. Their sport was extremely violent. So violent that they could not get into the ring without a helmet. They had to protect their head. Because if they didn't protect their head, their head would be crushed. This sport was so severe and so violent that few boxers ever lived to retire. They died. Most of them died in the ring. Of all the sports, everyone looked at boxing as the most hazardous and most deadly, worse than UFC, worse than ultimate, worse than the max, max, max. It was the ultimate, ultimate. This is a brutal sport. Now let me tell you what they wore. These ancient boxers wore gloves. Now, the gloves today are all padded. You know, they're big old, and, and they do hurt, but they are padded. But these gloves, they had steel on their gloves. And then they had like a serrated steel. You know what a serrated uh, knife is where it's got like, you know when you cut a tomato? If you cut it like, that's because it's a serrated knife. It's not straight. It's jagged. They had serrated steel on their gloves. It was like a hunting knife. And what they would do is they would try to make deep gashes in their opponent's body. These gloves were heavy. And every punch was more damaging than the other. If you ever looked at artwork from the first century, and you looked at artwork that had sports, you would see boxers, and they would depict them with blood, and they would depict them with open wounds, noses and ears totally deformed by being struck with these gloves. What made this sport even more dangerous was the fact that there were no rules. The only rule was that you could not clench your opponent's fist. You could not stop him from hitting you. 
You had to let him hit you, but you had to hit him first. So that was the only rule of the game. You can't clinch his fist. There were no rounds like they are in boxing today. The fight just went on and on and on until one of them surrendered or one of them died. Brutal. That was hardcore, yeah. The next sport was wrestling. How many of you like UFC and fake? No. <laughs> there were wrestlers even back then. This is the first century. And wrestling is actually one of the most ancient of all combat sports. It was a vital part of the education of the Roman boys, especially if they were born into a wealthy class. They all learned. If their father had affluence or they had a, a position or a title, it was just like, you are going to learn wrestling. Just like today, most kids are joining baseball or they join Pop Warner football. Well, back then, it was wrestling. You had the combat sport of wrestling, but it was different than our wrestling. It wasn't as ugly and it wasn't as bloody as boxing, but it was still aggressive and it was still dangerous. They had rules to wrestling. For instance, some of the most violent fighting techniques were not allowed in wrestling. You couldn't kick, you couldn't throttle hold, you couldn't twist the joints. Yeah, they used to do all that. They, couldn't, they, they could only fight on the top, they couldn't get on the ground and wrestle. And so there was a lot of more rules with the wrestling because it was more civilized. They, these kids had money and they didn't want to get hurt. So it was a little different. But then you had the third combat sport. And this one was called pancration. And this word came from two Greek words, pan and kratos. The word pan means all and kration or kratos means power. So when you put these two words together, it means all-powerful. That's how violent this sport was. These fighters, these pancreatists, were the fiercest, toughest, and most committed of all the sports. They were permitted to kick, punch, bite, gouge, strike, break fingers, break legs, and do any other horrible thing that you could even imagine. There was no part, and I, I, I kind of tripped out, but I'm going to read it to you like I read it, okay? There was no part of the human body that was off limits. They could do anything they wanted to any part of their competitor's body because there were no rules. When the fathers were trying to get their sons into sports, especially into pancreation, the word was, if you should hear that your son has died, believe it. But if you hear that your son has been defeated and chose to retire, do not believe it. Why? Because unlike all the other sports, pancreation was definitely unto death. When you participated in this sport, you died or you surrendered. If you surrendered, you were kicked out of the city. Now, 
I know all of this is pretty graphic. Some of you are like, Ugh. I know I was. Because I, I, I'm very graphic in my, the way that I see things and when I read it. But I want you to understand that this was important for you to understand. Because all of this was in the word wrestle. All of the graphic, gory, ugly, hurtful things that were done in sports was in this word wrestle. So when Paul wrote this scripture of we wrestle not against flesh and blood, everyone in the Greek understood that word phalet. They understood the word wrestle. And they saw all these images in their mind. He says, we are wrestling against, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against the spiritual wickedness in high places. And he says, that's how ugly it gets. That's how demonic, and that's how gouging and biting and scourging and bloody it gets in the spirit world. It gets that graphic. This is such a powerful word for Paul to use because he wanted to really get across to the people and to us the unseen conflict, the demonic powers that Satan has put together to destroy you. He wants you to die. That's how powerful this word is. They will kick, bite, scream, scourge, cut. He'll do everything just to get you to not be victorious in Christ. By using this word wrestle, from the Greek word pale, Paul was telling every one of us that spiritual warfare is a struggle. It's a bitter struggle. It's a bloody struggle. And it's an intense conflict. You do not, this is not tiptoeing through the tulips in Christianity. If you've been serving God for one month, you know this is not tiptoeing through the tulips. This is hard work. That's why the phrase in Ephesians 6.12, it carries that idea of wrestling. It says, for our wrestling. In the Amplified, it says, for our wrestling. That is our intense struggle, our fierce combat, our con contest, our challenge, our ongoing conflict. It's not with flesh and blood, but with the enemy of the air. Then Paul goes on to describe the different levels of demonic powers that took place in Satan's kingdom. Because he, this is what Paul said. He says, I want you to see that you are just not playing a game here. If you're going to serve God, you need to know that you're in warfare. You don't just say, oh, I'm going to serve God and it's, everything's going to turn out so rosy. I've been doing this for 40 years. I have known 40 years of conflict. And believe me, it gets more difficult as the years go by. Because you know what? It's not how you start. It's how you finish. It's how you finish. And that's why the enemy hits so hard, especially those who have been serving God for a long time. Because he could have he got you right at the beginning. You were a cream puff. He could have blew at you. And you would have fallen over. But once you start getting the word inside of you, and once you start getting fortified, and once you start getting your mind strengthened, it's a little bit harder. And he wants to ruin your ending. He wants to make sure you don't finish well. That's why it's such a strong conflict. That's why you struggle. That's
Because it's a conflict to death. Your death. See, the enemy is real. There are forces of darkness that are working to get you to fall. He wants you to fall morally. He wants you to fall into sin. He wants you to be able to do the things that you used to do. Anything that our flesh will cooperate with, that's what he wants us to do. The enemy comes to tempt, to seduce, to deceive, and to attack the mind. But unless they find a partner to listen, unless they find someone to cooperate with them, then there is nothing that they can do. They are powerless if you don't listen. If the door is shut, if the door is shut, if the door is shut, they can't get in. They can't get in. But if you have just little crack, just a teeny tiny little crack, they're like mice. You know, you don't even have to have, to have a crack for a mouse to get in your house. I mean, I don't know how, they're like Houdini. There's not even a crack, but they can find a way. You know why? Because they don't have any bones. It's the same way the enemy gets in. You leave a little bit of a crack. I mean, you don't even have to leave a crack. You just have to have the thought on the other side of the door. And that other side of the door, the enemy will come, ooh, I can smell it. I can smell that thought. I can smell what you're looking at. I can smell what you're thinking about. And he can get in that easy. The greatest key to winning every battle that the devil wages against us is to keep our mind dominated by the word of God. Because when you do that, then the flesh will be kept under control, the control of the Holy Spirit, and it will block the enemy's attack on our mind. That's why Paul says, gird up the loins of your mind. The loins, the weak areas. You know your weak areas better than anybody else. Money, sex, power. Those are the three top ones. Some of you may have added a couple in there, but those are the three top. The top three. And if you don't get a hold of those three or four, or even five weak areas in your life, the enemy can slip in and take you out. He knows that if he can get that one small area of your mind, he's going he's gonna to continue. He's like an ant. He gets in, he says, man, this is good stuff. And he calls in all the other ants, but they're not just ants, they're demonic power. For some of you, it's time for you to stop, start reading your Bible other than on Sundays and Wednesdays. Sometimes it might even be good for you to turn off the TV and do some reading. Filling your mind with God's thoughts. There is no better mental protection against the enemy's strategies than to fill your brain with the Word. And I say that because there's a lot of times... You come to church and you're like, you're like uh, my, my grandchildren. Feed me. 
If I were to look at you with a spiritual looking glass, I wonder how many of you would be anorexic. I mean, you look good on the outside. Some of us even look a little hefty, fluffy. We look fluffy on the outside. But if we were to pass a spiritual detector, you ever been through the, through the airlines where they, you know, they can tell who you are underneath your clothes. They can see who you really are. Well, if we had one of those detectors, I wonder what you would really look like. On the outside, you'd be walking in like, you know, but then we'd see a little skinny little, not even a spaghetti. You got to get into your word. I would not be here all these years later if it was not for God's word. Believe me. Believe me. People have let me down. My family has let me down. My loved ones have let me down. Everyone has let me down. The only one that hasn't let me down is God. He's the only one. He's the only one that will stick with you all the way. Even when you don't think he's there, he's there. Even when you think he left you, he hasn't left you. But you know how I know? Because it's his word. It was his word that carried me through every difficulty in my marriage. It was his word that carried me through every difficulty when we were pastoring this church. It was his word that carried me through my husband's death. It was his word that has carried me every step of the way. Had I not had his word, I would not be here. I would not be here. And that's the truth. And that is why I have to tell you, you've got to get into his word. Don't just come on Wednesdays and Sundays and open your mouth like a bird and say, feed me. Because it is not anybody's job who stands behind this pulpit to feed you. It is your job to feed you. All we're doing is we're just giving you a little bit more. That's all. We're just giving you a little bit more. But you've got to feed yourself. You, you're going to stand before God one day. What are you going to do? Point your finger and say, well, well, they didn't give me enough food. That's why I look the way I look. He's like, how many Bibles did you have at home? Most of you have more than one. When's the last time you cracked it open? <coughs> Probably have dust. <coughs> it is a fact that if we deliberately or by negligence have allowed sinful strongholds to remain in our lives, then we have actually left a hole that the enemy can come in and insert his schemes. Negligence, secret sins, things that you're holding that nobody knows. You know, but nobody else knows. And you think you're, you're, you're cool. You think nobody knows. We don't have to know. Everything that you do in secret, that was one of the scriptures I taught my kids since they were two years old. Whatever you do in secret will be shouted from the rooftop. My kids knew that because it was like, you know what, you're going to school. Whatever you do in secret, I'll find out. Whatever you do at the baseball, I'll find out. Whatever you do with your friends at the mall, 
I'll find out. You know why I know? Because I, I did it to me. My, my dad was not a Christian, but I'll tell you what. I would tell him myself. Dumb. We, we would be driving, you know, he didn't know some of the places that I went to. He wasn't saved. I wasn't saved. And uh, we went, we'd go to this hall, uh, Little Willie G and the Midnighters, they used to play there every Friday and Saturday. And so we were a little underage, but we would get in because we knew the door guy. And so we'd get in, and, and one day I was driving with my dad. And I go, oh, man, it's open again already? And he goes, what? <laughs> oh, oh, and I didn't know what to say because I blew it on myself. Whatever you do in secret will be shattered from the rooftop, even if we have to do it ourselves. We really have to do everything we can to shut the door to our souls where the enemy might come in. And I really want to hopefully help you to understand that this is serious business. This is not a joke. This is, even though you're laughing, this is serious. And you need to pay attention to what the enemy wants to do to your life. The enemy has destroyed too many Christians who are ignorant and who don't think that he's that strong. There are people who were here in these last 31 years who have come and gone and come and gone and come and gone and gone because they were ignorant. They didn't pay attention to what the enemy was doing to their mind, to their thinking, to their processes, and they just thought, I can handle it, I can handle it. You can't handle it. You just can't. You think you can handle it? You can't handle it. That's why in Ephesians 6.12, Paul gives us the revelation that he got that describes Satan's kingdom. And he describes it that, like militarily, how they have been assigned to a military. He says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Notice at the top of the list, Paul says, there is a group of evil spirits that he calls principalities. This word was taken from a Greek word, archai, which is an old word that stands for ancient times. And he says that this, this word represents individuals who hold the highest rank. This is a rank in Satan's army. I want you to know that the enemy is not just coming against us like a bunch of ragtag soldiers. He's coming against us with military strategy. He's coming against us with, he's got this group, and then this group, and then this group. You think that he's going to knock you down with just a whole bunch of ragtag demons and say, hey, go after him. No, he, he knows exactly who he has to send against you. He, ha he knows exactly who and what and where to send the enemies after you. Some of you are saying, man, I don't know if I signed up for all this. But you know what? I have to tell you the truth. This is the truth. This is the word of God. Paul says at the very top of Satan's kingdom are these principalities. And they've been there in authority since ancient times. Probably since the fall of Lucifer, they've been up there. Then he tells us that below principalities is a second group. 
And those second group, he refers to as powers. This word powers talks about delegated authority. Now, this is a lower second level group. They've received delegated authority from Satan to carry out all manner of evil, however he tells them. These forces are second. But then you go to the next rank, rank and file. And then he says, rulers of the darkness in this world. Now that word comes from the word cosmos. And cosmos talks about arrangement. That everything has to do with an arrangement. That you don't just find yourself at that party by chance. You don't find yourself driving by your ex's house by chance. You don't find yourself in front of that old bar that you used to go to by chance. You don't find yourself doing anything by chance. It's a part of an arrangement that the enemy has constructed just for you. Cosmos. It's military training. It's been put into order for you. When you read this in the Greek context, you understand that it's almost like a military camp where there's, you know, uh, ranks and file and all of that. That's how structured the enemy is. And this is how, why Paul uses that word to describe Satan's kingdom. What does it mean? It means that Satan is so serious about doing damage to you and me that he deals with demons like troops. He puts them in rank and file. He gives them orders and assignments. And then he tells them to go out like soldiers who are committed to do their job. But they can't do their job if we're doing our job. They can't do what they're supposed to do if they can't get in. They can't come in and throw that thought at us if there's no door that's open to them for them to come in and lay down their dirt. Demon spirits are trained and ready to start their assault against us. But that's why we are also trained. That's what you come to church for, to get trained. You come to be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you will know his good and pleasing and perfect will. You didn't come to check out who came to church, I hope. You didn't come to check out, you know, get your brownie points up on the wall. You didn't come out for all of that. You didn't come for any of that. You came to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The ultimate aim of Satan is to get us to fall. But I want to remind you, I want to remind you that we have more power and more authority than all the evil forces combined. We have more power and more authority, but you know what it is that we lack? You know what it is that we lack? We lack order and discipline. That's what we lack. See, because the enemy has all their order and, and rank and file and discipline together. And when they come against us, they come in rank and file and order. 
They are disciplined. And what gets us is because we don't have that discipline. We only do what we're told to do when somebody's hovering over us. If nobody told you to do your homework, you probably would never have done your homework. If nobody told you to, that, you know, my husband would say that I made him get married, no, he probably would never have gotten married. That was not true, but that's what he said. Not true. When we begin to see ourselves as the army of God, as a disciplined soldier, and to look at the church as a training center, to look at the church as a place where we come and we get our marching orders, where we come and learn a little bit more discipline, a little bit more order in our life, then we'll be able to fight the enemy the way that he's supposed to be fought with. We are taught to fight not with the weapons of flesh, but with the Spirit, we have the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, the breastplate of righteousness, our loins girt about with the word of truth, our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. We have all of the armor necessary to fight the enemy. But sometimes, sometimes we get out of bed, we turn off the snooze button too long, and we're running out of there. We forgot the helmet because the helmet will tell us what we're supposed to be thinking. And now all of a sudden we're like, you know what? Get out of my way. Get out. You dummy. Don't you know how to do Where'd you get your license? And we're screaming at everybody trying to get to work because we forgot our helmet. And then our boss comes and he starts telling us, you're late again. But we forgot our breastplate of righteousness to cover our hearts. So we're over We forgot all of the parts that we're supposed to be covered with because we were too busy snoozing. No discipline. We must listen to the call that the Lord has for our life, that we are to preach the gospel, and we are to be able to be, have a word in season and out of season, that we have to buckle down. You know what? I don't know how more I can tell you this, I look around and, you know, I, I, I'm a news junkie. I really am. I mean, I listen to the news all the time. I wake up to it. I go to sleep with it. I listen to it in my car. <laughs> I'm a news junkie. And the more I listen, the more I know Jesus is coming back. He's, he's coming back. We do not have time to play. You cannot play army. You cannot play army. Maybe you did that when you were a kid. I loved to play army when I was a kid. And I loved to shoot imaginary bullets and bang, you're dead. No, I got you. No, you didn't. It missed me. It went that way. And we'd fight over if we got them or not. And that's how we played army. But this is the house of God and we don't play. We do not play in the house of God. The house of God has to be organized and disciplined. And the only way you do that is by living a holy and consecrated life. There is no room for slackness in the life of a real Christian soldier. You need to make sure that you understand you have an enemy who hates you. He absolutely hates your gut. And he wants to make sure that he can destroy you, that he can make you finish 
with a horrible testimony. It is required of us as soldiers that we walk with God, that we listen to the voice of his Holy Spirit, that we gird up the loins of our mind, the weak areas, and we fill our mind with the word of God. Because I'll tell you one thing, Satan's troops are serious. And if we're not serious, if we are not serious about serving God, if you're only waiting because, well, you know what? I got to get married quick. Quick, because Jesus is coming. Quick. If you're only serious about finding a mate, if you're only serious about getting what you can from the Lord, then it's only going to be a matter of time before the enemy discovers your weakness. And he's going to strike you with all the forces of the enemy. Look at yourself as a soldier. Don't allow anything to remain in your life that would hinder your fight of faith. Be disciplined. Be committed. Be organized. Take advantage of all the weapons in Ephesians 6. The helmet, the breastplate, the sword, the, your feet shod, your loins girt about with truth. Then get ready to witness God's power in your life. As long as you fill your mind with the word of God, you can come against any rank and file that the enemy may throw against you. Bow your heads with me tonight. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I seriously want you to think of any open doors that you might have in your mind right now. Any open doors that the enemy might find access to your life. Any open doors that need to be shut completely. And now that you know what doors there are, what are you going to do to shut them? Sometimes you're able to do this on your own with the word of God, but sometimes you need to ask someone to help you, to pray with you, to encourage you. And if you're dealing with a door that you've been struggling with for a long time, then I want you to start praying right now that the Lord would give you someone that you can talk to and ask them to help you. I'm going to have everybody, while you're seated, pray this prayer tonight. Say, Lord, everybody, Lord, I don't want to give the devil access to my mind. I ask for forgiveness for the times I've permitted wrong thinking to go on and on when I knew it was wrong. Help me to find every open door in my mind and seal it shut by the power of your word and of your Holy Spirit. Help me to see myself as a mighty soldier in the army of God. You have already given me every weapon I need to come against the enemy that comes against my life, my family, my business, my friends, and my church. I want to stand tall 
against the enemy. Give me the power and strength I need to resist every attack and drive all forces from my life. I want to be victorious in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with